say thank you so, so much for coming to each and every one of you. Let's try if we can, just in this moment, to center, to root ourselves here in this place, at this time, and to enter into the place where we like to try to access when we get together, when we get together in these events, which is a place of stillness, of silence, trying to access a place that ordinarily with the noise of everyday life, it's very difficult to access. So we get together from time to time in this hall, whenever I have the privilege of being here, and we try to gift ourselves with an opportunity to go deeper, to go deeper, beyond the noise and how noisy it's been, oh my gosh. How noisy it's been. So we need silence and stillness more desperately than ever. The first thing that we all, I'm sure, are already carrying with us in heart and mind that I need to mention is that right now in this moment, this moment to knowledge, our brothers and sisters are being most nefesh, putting their lives on the line for you and me, for all that is good and true and eternal. I'm privileged enough to have a bunch of friends who were drafted or called up. And they've been sending me messages and asking me to daven for them, like I'm sure they're doing for other friends, with their name. And the first thing I'm saying is, you take my name. You daven for me. Because there's a chosimar unimaginable, absolutely unimaginable. Mysterious nefesh can shoot them. So for whatever it's worth, right now we're doing our part. This is the way that we battle. We're not there, we're not on the front lines, but we're on the front lines. We're on the front lines in our own way. Trying to do what we can to bring Elokus into the world, Godliness into the world. And get together in this way, through music and the physics. To do that, it should be a zuchus for them. We should bind ourselves with them in heart and mind. Where the captives should be speedily returned home in good health. So let's begin.
It's so sweet to be able to be together, to sit together here. We need each other more now than ever to get together, for you to be in one room. It's like a little teva. It's like a little teva. What a crazy world we live in. For us to get together with some sane human beings, sane people, the air is very clean.
Surely we should try to get out of the illusion of coming to light. It's not you that's in control, it's Hashem's in control. No, you know it because it's become so clear to you that it's it's clearer to you than 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 that it's night outside now and every day tomorrow. It's it's a lived experience, not an intellectual piece of information. You've been humbled by life. Life has pushed you to the point where you have you have no other choice. You have no other choice but to ask for help. You have no other choice but to admit to yourself that this is just not working. That's a great light. That's a great light. Sometimes everything we go through in life is a Kodesh Baruch trying to get us to that place. And we think it's such a big habit. Why can't I just get it together? Why do I struggle with this and that? And I can't just get over this. And, and it's Mamash HaFuch. It's the opposite. Hashem is giving you a curriculum. He's trying to teach you something. Not sound. And until we get it, so then we haven't been pushed far enough. So this is our learn. It's a generation of healing. It's a generation of authenticity, vulnerability, openness. It's a generation of just not seeing there being a purpose in fake anymore. Okay, we're done with that. So Mashiach calls our generation Anabim Anabim, humbled ones. He gives man for lesson. You've learned it. You, you've got it. It took a long time, but you're there. What a privilege. What a privilege to be in that time. In that generation. The generation of Dabba Malka Mashiach, Bali Chuba, all of us. No matter how FFP, whatever other Russian papers we think we have or are. This generation will all follow the truth. We're humble. We're on a path of coming closer. So let's sing it strong and loud together for each other.
same is true for, for any of you, for all of you. But for me, reading the Parshish these past few weeks has been like no other reading of Parshish any other year. You, you read the stories, you know the stories. But it's almost as if you're reading like a script for what, for what, like you know, like literally what we are experiencing and living. It's remarkable. Parsha after parsha after parsha. I'm reminded of the Gemara Magus. Chazal in a few places tell us there would be a key that the Tana was walking with another Tana. His name is eluding me right now, but I'm sure some of them know who he was walking with. Near the Makam Amikdash, the Khurban. And he sees that there are foxes running out of the Makam Amikdash. Foxes. Horrible thing. And so the Tana that, uh, that Rabbi Kiva was walking with starts to cry. And Rabbi Kiva was laughing. So, it's obviously it's more natural to cry when you see a thing like that. Foxes, they say, Kayim Kadal, Ketiris, Kabanis, the Shir, the Zimmer, the Levian. Foxes are running in that place. You can cry from that. So, why is Rabbi Akiva laughing? And of course, Rabbi Akiva says, I'm laughing because if this prophecy was fulfilled, Shu'alam Hilchuba, and then Abi says that the Mesamikta shall be destroyed and foxes will run in that place. And I, I know that this is part of the script. Then I know for certain that this chapter is not the last chapter, it's just it's part of a process. And all the prophecies about the restoration of our people in our land, in our land, and the building of the Mesamikdash. It's going to come to fruition as well. It gives me the greatest physic in the world, and it's all of the horrible trauma that you and I, in some way, are experiencing and have experienced over these last few weeks, trying to process the, or that which is impossible to process. It gives me great physic, number one, that the Zionists did not accept the British offer for Uganda to be the Jewish homeland. It could have easily done. And it gives the great chizuk that the Jews in Uganda are not being attacked by the Taiwan or the Taiwanese. It gives me great chizuk that we are not in Uganda and that we're not being attacked by the Taiwanese. You know why? Because that's not part of the script. There's no psukim in any in Amos that talk about Amisrael in the middle of Uganda getting attacked by some random Japanese nation. Or some, you know, the, the people from the South Pole. I mean, that's, that's just not part of the script. You know what is part of the script? Written in all of our spar from a thousand years ago, that at the end of time, Amisrael will be, will be attacked by Yishma. And that's, that is par for the course, exactly coded into the books that all of our tzaddikim knew what happened throughout the generations. It's a painful, horrible, painful. Tragic beyond words. Is it part of the process? Most absolutely. It gives me great chizuk, crazily enough. 
So this week's Parsha, yeah, and this week's Rishkar, a huge round of applause for our incredible, incredible Kaleya musicians and the Frats, the elder of mine who's joining us, what a privilege to have you with us. And so this week's Parsha, Parsha Svayera, we're reading about the birth of Yitzchak Avinu. The birth of Yitzchak Avinu, Yitzchak Avinu is Mamish Avinu, and as much as Avram is our father, Yitzhak is the firstborn Jew. Yitzhak is Mamash in Yid. He's an Ivory. Mamash. By birth of the Gemara in Shabbos, Pintess famously tells us that at the end of time, when Amisrael needs some help and a Nolamid Schus, an advocate for us in the upper realms, it's not Avram Avinu who comes to our defense. And it's not Yaakov Avinu who comes to our defense again on their level. It's a very complicated sugya. Who is it? Yitzchak Avinu. Yitzchak Avinu. Yitzchak is Mamash Avinu. Yitzchak is our father. The title of tonight's event on the flyer is Am HaPelah. The wondrous, miraculous nation. We are such a miraculous nation that we are an impossible people. We are an impossible people. What does it mean that we're an impossible people? What does it mean for something to be possible? It means it's within the realm of nature. It's possible because it's natural. We expect certain things to happen. We expect certain things not to happen. It's called teva. It's called nature. The shoyrish, the foundation, the premise of Am Yisrael is rooted in a place of impossibility. What am I referring to? The fact that Avram and Sarah could not have children. They could not have children. It wasn't that they were having trouble having, they could not have children. It was not possible al-Kitabah, as Chazal say, it was impossible. Yitzchak comes from a place of the impossible. Yitzchak is a nace. Yitzchak is a nace, and that's why the whole thing of Yitzchak is laughter. Because laughter means to say that we expected something to go one way, and that's what a punchline is, right? A punchline that hits you like, that's why it's called a punchline, because like you're, you're blindsided by something. You thought that the narrative was going one way and then there's a twist in it. And we laugh. So the whole thing of Yitzhak is that we thought that there was Teha and it was all a joke. It was all a joke. Because Yitzhak says, look, I'm, I'm alive. My, my very nature, the very fact of my being is echoing with an ever-reverberating laughter. Because look at this punchline. It turned out that Avram and Sarah could have children. What a twist. What a twist. Now the question is what we consider to be natural. If we consider this world to be natural, 
and them within that world that we consider to be limited and fixed, there are those that still believe that things can change. So then, the laughter could be one in which we cause a person to be forced to confront the reality that there is only nature, there is only heaven, there's nothing else. And that, in relation to that person's journey, is, is like a, is a sardonic, cynical laughter. It's also laughter, because you thought that some, you were going to make something of yourself in this life. You thought that you would access great spiritual heights. You thought that you could accomplish something, and it turns out you can't. This laughter is called late summers. This is the unholy laughter of late summers, of cynicism. The master of late summers in the Torah is Amalek. Amalek is called a lace. Possibly initially, lace, taka, pesi, yarim. Because I'll say lace is Amalek and pesi is Yisra. I'll tell you on that. Amalek is the lace. And that's why Amalek tells a joke in Torah. Amalek tells a joke. Because Am Yisrael are on a journey from Mitzrayim to Arsinai. And they think that this is it. They're out of servitude. They're about to receive the Torah. They're about to enter into a realm where a person could be a person and Mamash not be here at all, be in the, in the Shemayim. And Amalek comes with a cynical joke. Asher karcha bader, a punchline. Amalek shoves Am Yisrael out of the narrative that they were fixed in, and Amalek laughs in our face. And Amalek says, "There's no hope. There's no hope. You thought that there was hope. There's no hope." This is the Indian of Amalek. And another passage in Mishlei describes the inner Amalek, the Yitzhahar, with the words Melech Zakin Uksil. Melech Zakin Uksil, an old and foolish king. And as far as explains, you know why the Yitzhahar is called an old and foolish king? Because the Itzahara is saturated with the spirit of sickness, of old, of being old. There not being any hope left, there's no life, there's no vitality. Just get real. This is it. There is no revelation, there is no miracles, there is no story, there is no process, there is no. That there is no anything. It's just this world. Melech Zakin Uksil. Where is Amalek rooted in? Esau. Esau is the Zaydi of Amalek. Esau. 
tells Yaakov Avinu, listen, what do I need this grand spiritual stature of the Bechayur for? What do I need it for? Hine anoichi hailech lamas. Going to die. Lama is that Bechayra. What do I need this spiritual matraga for? This Bechayra, what do I need it for? Hine anoichi hailech lamas. The Spartans say, Hailech lamas doesn't mean that Esau said, I am going to die one day. But he means that every step I take is already saturated with the spirit of death. Wherever I walk, it's dead. Because there's no continuity, there's no vision, there's no ideal, there's no dream, there's no passion, there's no faith that one day things can fundamentally change. Melech Zakin Uksil. It's the foolishness of Chachma. It's a strange thing. Because Zakin Sechazal is a conjugation of three words Zed, Kane, Chachma. This one acquired wisdom. So he's Melech Zakin Uksil, which means he, he has to be intellectual. He's not an idiot. To be a lace, you can't be an idiot. You have to be bright to be a lace, because you have to find a way to make it seem as if you're you're brighter than you know whatever else is going on. And you you're smarter than them. That, that's what it means. That's what lace sanos is a chacham. It's a chacham ksiva kislus a folly because it doesn't bring you anywhere. So a melech is just an ancient old person that can't do anything anymore. He wherever I walk. The Walking Dead. They're already dead because there's no eventuality, there's nothing to gain, there's nowhere to go. But Yaakov, you Yaakov Ishtam. Yaakov's whole thing is Tmimus. It's the opposite of what sounds simplicity, faith, Tamim, Tia, and Hashem. Ashrei t'mimei darech. Those who are tongue, those who are removed from the Amalekian chill, from Asher Karcha Baderech that freezes us where we are and makes us give up on ourselves. Those who are removed from that, Ashrei t'mimei, you're a tongue, darech. You have a way. Ha'holchi m'saris Hashem. Not a velich lungs, chas v'shom, the opposite. You're alive. You're so alive that even after such a person leaves the world, even when they actually expire from this world, they're going, they're going. There's fire there. Vibrancy, age is always flickering, moving. Ice cubes never moved. Never ever moved. I never saw an ice cube flicker or shake. Just it's literally it's frozen stuff. I should curcha. I don't think it's it's car. It's a beacon or fire. And this is why Kazal and Titus tell us Yaakov Abinu 
Loi Mace. Yaakov Avinu never died. It's the contrast of Esau who always died. Right? It's not just the contrast of Esau who did die. Yaakov Avinu Loi Mace doesn't mean that Yaakov Avinu did not die at the end of his life. And Hini Amarikyo Adathlamas doesn't mean that Esau did die at the end of his life. Like we explained. Hini Amarikyo Adathlamas means that Esau died every step he took. He was dead and dead and dead and dead. Hoylech Lamas. Yaakov Avinu? Loi Mace. There was not one moment in Yaakov Avinu's life where he was the aspect of, of Mace. Where did Yaakov Avinu get this from? Yaakov Avinu got this from Yitzchak. Yitzchak, whose whole entire Metzius is the tzchayk, the holy laughter, of recognizing and realizing that what I thought was hopeless is absolutely filled with blessing of infinite possibility. Yitzchak is shaking with the laughter. That's the laughter of simplicity, the laughter of those tzaddikim who walked through the world ridiculed by all the big chacham, big zikim, with a little smile on their face because they knew the truth. I want to read to you a few lines from Rav Tzadik and we'll sing more. <coughs> we have to understand who we are. I've been hearing so many messages from people with the situation going on as if our situation is hopeless. And Ami Yisrael is facing extinction. And we have to follow every single WhatsApp status and news group and, and not miss one message because who knows what's going to be and we have to know what, what Hezbollah is going to announce tomorrow we have to see what Russia is going to do and we have to hear what they're saying in the UN and, and this and that and because all this matters as if we're just another nation as if we're not rooted in impossibility that even when faced as if we're not rooted in the everlasting laughter of Yitzchak. The letters of whose name can be rearranged to spell Kate's Chai. He's rooted in a place where there is no life. Life is finished already. Kate's Chai. And it becomes Yitzchak. It becomes Tzchok. It becomes laughter. We forget who we are. We are an Am HaPele. We don't belong to the rules of nature. We just don't. It makes no difference what nature looks like. It makes no difference. We are in another category. It's not shy to us. Ain't mazal Yisrael. Something else. Listen to our Tzavik's words. They recite from Aztezan. A Jew has no reason to despair because of anything in this world. Not with regard to physical matters, which we just mentioned. Even if a person has a sword on their neck, 
Don't stop dominating, don't stop believing, don't stop here. You're not bound by the rules of nature. And the same is true spiritually. Even if a person is stuck or a person is stuck. But the person thinks there's no one in the whole Kaiso who's stuck like I am in the things that I am stuck in. That even if a person did sins, about which the Zohar Kaddish says, it's dealt with in different form, what exactly this means, that it's impossible to do chuba for this and that, or that it's really difficult, and like, I would have to work my whole life to rectify what it is that I broke. Or a person cannot seem to lift their head above the treacherous, stormy waters of this worldliness. Do not give up deciding for yourself that there's no hope for you. Of course, reminiscent of Rabbi Nachman's declaration, there's no despair in the world at all. And we know from the students of Ratzadik, Ratzadik didn't have any children, that's a whole story in and of itself. But we know from the children, from the students of Ratzadik, that the Sifre Rabbi Nachman be Breslau didn't leave the table of Ratzadik Akkoyin Lublin. Ratzadik was Mkushet Rabbi Nachman, the deepest, deepest ways. Of course, this is Rabbi Nachman's terror. And he cannot quote it word for word. There is no concept of despair when it comes to a Jew. Hashem can make anything happen at any moment from places and ways that we couldn't dream. It wasn't even on our radar that this is where the salvation will come from. I am Yahweh Ezri. Ezri the Hashem. And here it says, The the very foundation of the Jewish nation. Was rooted in a place which was after despair, like a place of impossibility. The Amram and Sarah is a Canaan. Because Amram and Sarah was a Canaan, he be little Abram and Nikah Gaimer. Shall we all dance on the way the Hamans have been to Akhar Tarza Malach Sarah? So they can dance. Then we need Hashem's bar call Yacham. That even after the Malach came to Abram and Sarah and told them you're going to have a child, Sarah was a big Sadegus. Of course she believed in Hashem. They didn't call Zet Sachaka Bagirba, but she still lacked, at least inwardly. Because it was, it was it was such an impossibility that it was an impossible impossibility. Because she knew their state. So why did a Baruch make it to be in such a way that our obviously minds were barren? Why did Hashem make it like this? Because Hashem wanted that the foundation of this nation should be dafa achar should be rooted in a place of total despair. Shall lay hem in shum adam that even Sarah wouldn't believe that she would have a child. Because this is what it means to be a Jew in this world. And this is what we're going to need throughout 2,000 years' exile. Where the Am Hanetzah, 
Where the Amapele. Where the Amapele. We're a wondrous people. We are a miraculous nation. Lahamin to believe cloud that there's never reason to despair. Because if Ishbarah could help, and Hashem will help, and Hashem is already helping, and that which we think is a Kurdishbarakashalam hurting us is our limited perception. Which is the teaching that you have either in your hands or wherever else you put it that was on the chairs. Which is a teaching from the Balkani. We're not going to learn it now. We can take it home and you'll focus on it. It's called Hasil Chabina. It comes from the Geras HaKadosh Baragid Aleph. It's a very, very famous piece in Chabad Hasidus. And you're going to be a bit surprised when you read it. You're going to be, you're going to be a bit surprised. It's, it's not going to be easy to read it. It is very, very sharp. And I deliberated you should know for a long time whether to do whether to give out this piece or not. There was another teaching that was much softer. I said, no, this is the time. Because in that piece he says that a person that on the most foundational level of their identity believes that they're experiencing something bad. He says, this is equivalent to fear. I know it's hard to hear. 230 plus of our brothers and sisters, many of them are, are babies and children, are being held in tunnels by Hamas. But that's not bad. It's not something to cry about. You better believe it's something to cry about. And all of us have cried about it and will cry about it, and we're going to celebrate their return. But there's a layer beyond the crime. And in that place, and these are his words, and you'll read it for yourself, nothing bad ever happens. Nothing. No thing. Hashem is running his world in a perfect way. We are limited. We don't see it. And our task is to hold on to Emunah. Not despite the darkness, specifically because of it. The Emunascha, not Babaikar, Balaylas. This is it. It's like all the Chemer that learn all the Chizuk and all the Sfarim, and they know it and they teach it, and then when they actually go through a challenging time, it's like, this is not relevant anymore. What do you think it was written for? It's for now. For now. This is what it was written for. That when Nasrallah now is the time. Now is the time to access our toolbox of Jewishness, rooted in the laughter of Yitzchak, battling against the late sons of Amalek, the Tmimas of Yaakov Avinu, Asher Tmimei Darecha, Holchim Bezars Hashem. The road might be littered with obstacles, but there's a road that we're going to overcome. Netzach Yisrael lo yeshaker. This is a joke. We're almost there. Vatischak liyoyim achray. When we get to that punchline, where we look Amalek in the face, and we look all the generations of all the nations that sought to subdue us and destroy us and eradicate us from the world, 
And we look at them with the same small smile of our great-great-great-grandparents who walked the streets of the Warsaw Ghetto. And we present to them the punchline of history. And there is a God after all, yeah. There is a God. And we are his nation. And this is our land. And will you finally allow us to be what we were meant to be when we were chosen in our Sinai to be an Arla Goyim? Will you finally stop pummeling me for long enough for me to tell you that I love you? And that I'm your brother? And that you're created in Salam Lokin? And that we could have utopia on earth if you'll just stop for a minute? We're almost there. And this is the same thing about the ultimate salvation. Namar the Pasuk says, saying, Who would believe it? Says Mashiach. Who would believe it? The Gemara in Sanhedrin, that's how the Zion of an Aleph tells us. That Mashiach will only come in such a state where Al Piteva finished the Gemara Sipur. There is no Indian anymore of any Ishtablus that can help. This is who we are as a nation. This is the light that we reveal in the world. We don't look remarkable, we're not Bitsadikin, but we're shining from one end of the world to the other. And all the while that we can hold on to our Imuna. We bring hope to the world. We bring light to the world. We channel the energy of the Shekhinah down into ourselves. We reveal covetousness in the world. We reveal hopefulness in the world. We should be like to hold on tight, Pepper. This is it. This is it. Now is not the time to have Chalisha's Hadas. Now is the time to be stronger than ever. Stronger than ever. Anachu ama pele. Ama netzach loma fachayd. Midarach aruka. The eternal nation has no fear of a very long journey. Tanimus. Pshitus. Ashrim.
gonna read a story to you now, and we'll sing a few more songs and we'll finish for tonight. And bless us to hold on to this, to hold on to each other. This is what we need now. This is what we need. We need to remember who we are. We need to hold on to it with pride. Hold your head high. Hold your head high. Ashram. I want you to know that Eretz Yisrael is mamish our land. It's mamish our land. It doesn't matter how many hundreds of thousands of people scream about free Palestine. Eretz Yisrael is our land. Not in the way of property being owned by a person that it's his property. But it's like if I say that my heart is my heart. My, my heart is not my heart because I own it. When I say it's my heart, it means it's not I can't function without it. It isn't, it's part of me. Think about the two sides in this conflict. One side says, we own this land. And the other side says, nobody owns any land, ever. This is God's world. He created this place. And he gave it to us. We, we didn't do anything. We, we can't show a contract. It's not ours because we own it. It's ours because there's a God in the world. And because I can't breathe without your shalom. And it bless us all to go back where we belong. And if we can't do that tomorrow, let it be on our minds. I'm sure it already is on yours. At our gusha just a couple nights ago, I literally wanted to pack up every single tiny thing in my house into whatever suitcases I had and I wanted without a plan and without parnasa and without anything. I don't want to be here. I love you guys and I love Manchester and London. Zemakil, I don't belong here. I want to go home. And I know that you're feeling the same way. It should be on our radar. I want to read this to you. It's a short essay from one of my favorite authors in the whole world. I don't know why she just has a way of writing. Brings me to life. Her name is Sarah Shapiro. And she's the daughter of the very famous American author, Norman Cousins. Norman Cousins is very famous because he wrote a book called Anatomy and Illness, where he describes having healed himself, so he claimed, from a debilitating illness by laughing through humor. It became a bet, like a crazy bestseller, Norman Cousins. His daughter became a Valis Truva, and her married name is Shapiro, Sarah Sarah Shapiro, and she's a prolific author. And so she has this book, many, many books, but this book is called Don't You Know It's a Perfect World, which I think fits with a lot of what we've been saying. I want to read this to you. It's not bombastic, it's simple as they come, but that's, that's the point, it's meaningless. That essay is called Living Here. I want you to open your hearts to this. I was on the number one bus one early evening a few weeks ago waiting to leave the hotel stop. 
when a girl around the 18 got on and started rummaging through her purse for the fare. Standing there next to the driver, her head slightly bowed, she was groping for her wallet with one hand and with the other she was holding open her purse for the window's waning light. I was looking at her absentmindedly, thinking of other things, when out of the blue her impassive face squeezed up into a sudden, totally unexpected grimace. For a second it looked like laughter. She began to cry. This girl's paroxysm of emotion, I didn't even know that word, not alone, don't worry. It's a good word to know. In its startling nakedness was exposed embarrassingly before all of us silent strangers, when before we knew it, she had gotten control of herself. With upraised chin and a face composed, she turned into the aisle to find a seat. All eyes followed her, including mine. She was well-dressed, well put together, a seminary student, probably, American or British with glossy dark hair gathered back eloquently in a velvet clasp at the nape of her neck. Not the kind of person who would enjoy making a public spectacle of herself, that's for sure. I vaguely remember now having passed that girl as I left the plaza. I was pretty sure this was the same one, but at the hotel crimes not unusual, and in, every and in any case, everybody's on a different wavelength there from the daily norm. All the ethereal, uninhabited faces. If you let yourself get distracted from your own praying and peek around surreptitiously to the right or to the left as you stand at the wall, you can get an uninvited glimpse into a whole line of strangers concealed innermost worlds. And you know you shouldn't be looking. Bitter complaining, desperate anguish, lowly begging, fragile hope, a heart's desire, fervent dreams. The demand for an explanation from God, from God for one's disasters, angry entreaty, joy unbound, gratitude relief, or, and this is pleasant to behold, the face of a human being engaged in some sublimely pleasurable communication with her creator. Usually all these secret faces vanish instantly, spontaneously, when a woman pressed up against the stone turned around to confront the world. The bus was packed. There were no more seats. A kerchiefed Yerushalmi woman in her 60s was sitting next to me, also craned around to watch as the girl made her way through the standees, and she clucked her tongue and shook her head. Must have gotten bad news, she muttered sadly. I thought to myself, right, there's only one thing that makes the person sob uncontrollably like that in public. And the disturbing picture appeared in my mind's eye of myself in an American Airlines terminal at JFK some years before. I just arrived on an LL flight from Tel Aviv and was searching from, for the connecting flight from Los Angeles when suddenly, to my own surprise, a wave of grief reared up so wildly inside me that I couldn't hold on. My suitcase dropped to the floor and I heard my own voice rising forth hoarsely in bewildered anger and disbelief. Daddy. I saw passerby staring warily, but they were just distant objects on the fringe of my awareness. Daddy, I moaned, like some sort of wounded creature. Daddy. How long did I stand there crying like that, as if I would thereby force on my father's part some reply? My seatmate and I and several other passengers were still twisted around, following this girl with our eyes, not yet self-conscious about our curiosity. No more than a minute had passed since the girl had gotten on. We watched as another girl, a petite blonde near the back, she had been waiting there apparently, gave a knowing look as the other came down the aisle and stretched out one arm unobtrusively. They clasped hands. At a friend's warm touch of understanding, the first girl's face fell in on itself again, and once again she was swept away by some powerful, measureless inner strife. 
She didn't bother herself now about people staring. She just stood there, crying openly. Face tipped back silently as the tears streamed down. I imagine myself getting up now and consoling her too. I know what you're going through. I wanted to tell the bereaved girl. I don't just always like to get the message when you're so far away. That's the price of living here, but believe it or not, you will feel better one day. You really will. This too shall pass. That's what I'd say, or some such nonsense. But of course I wouldn't do any such thing. I sat in my seat and turned around to face the front. A few minutes later, I twisted around and the girl was still weeping. I'm going back to talk to her, I said to the Yerushalmi woman, as if she'd expect an explanation. Our bus was hurtling along through the new underpass near Shariafo, and by the time I had made my way through all the people, my throat had tightened uncomfortably to suppress the rising up of some reawakened tidal swelling of my own. The girl's eyes were shut and she was in another world, so it was the friend whom I asked in an undertone. Did somebody die? The friend looked up at me startled. Oh no. We're leaving Israel tonight. I couldn't quite absorb it. What? You're leaving Israel tonight? She nodded. And that's why you're crying? She nodded. I leaned over to the crying girl. Excuse me? Hello? She lifted her red and swollen eyes. You're crying because you're leaving Israel? She frowned self-consciously, not liking the stranger's inobtrusiveness. Intrusiveness. I felt like throwing back my head in laughter, and a bubble of delight and relief burst out. How wonderful, I exclaimed. She smiled tentatively. As I got back into my seat, which the Yerushalmi woman had saved for me, she said, no. She's crying because she has to leave Israel tonight. Not on earth. Her face spread with pleasure then. A few moments went by. I was born here, she said. I've never wanted to leave. It emerged in conversation that from the profits of her work at home as a seamstress, she had bought each of her five daughters' apartments in the city. Wow, how do you do that, I asked. From the day the first was born, I didn't buy luxuries. What luxuries? Oh, clothes. I made them. I don't have an oven. I cook on the gas instead. Things like that. The woman smiled tranquilly. Here was someone who had accomplished something great in life and knew it. Her eyes disclosed a quiet, unambiguous happiness. The two of us talked some more until our gaze was drawn out the window. For Jerusalem, the twilight was darkening, so we were born up long. She was able to go back home. She was able to go back home.
them only good news in the week, in the weeks, in the months up ahead. Or mamish there, we have to hold on with the share a moon with other people, be the chazik yourself, be the chazik others. We're going to make it, we're making it, we're on our way. That's just a share. Next time we should be able to dance and dance and dance. For now, we're going to keep it here. I'm showing you good news. Thank you so much to each and every one of you for coming. Thank you so much.